Well, wow, I, I, I feel like we've already had a lot of church today. I'm like, we could go home now. I don't even need to preach. I've been prayed for. Y'all have been prayed for. But, hey, how many of you are familiar with, um, with a retired NFL player, current head coach of Jacksonville State University, Deion Sanders? Anyone in the room know who Deion Sanders is? Uh, well, years ago, when Dion was still playing professional sports, did you know that he played two professional sports? That Deion Sanders played in uh, Major League Baseball, and he also played in the NFL. And at one point in time, he actually was, he was an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves, and he also was a, wide or a cornerback for the Atlanta Falcons. So he played two professional sports, and he also played those sports in the same city at one point in time. In fact, he is the only play, player in Major League Baseball or NFL history to hit a home run and score a touchdown in the same week. He was playing for the Braves during the week, and he hit a home run, and then he played for the Falcons on Sunday, and he intercepted a pass and ran it back for a touchdown. But Dion's story begins well before his days in the NFL and Major League Baseball. See, he was born and raised in Fort Myers, Florida. He grew up on the very, very difficult, tough streets of Fort Myers, Florida. And on those streets and in those communities, there would be very negative exposures that he would be a part of. And he would run into lots of different choices, opportunities to, to go bad. In fact, many of his friends did. In fact, he had a lot of friends who he would say were better athletes than he. He, said, he would tell you that there were guys in his community that were faster than he was, that were, that were stronger than he was, that were a better athlete than he was. But because they made a, a poor choice in life, a bad direction in life, they ended up not achieving what God had placed in them. See, and Dion, he, kinda, he had a name for them. He called them the Idas. And you may know some Idas too. Have you, do you know anybody named Ida? Anybody? Well, maybe, maybe you, you've heard somebody say this. Well, you know what? If I'd have gone to school all the way through, I would have been a success. If I'd have kept going to practice, I would have been a lot better. If I'd have done this or if I'd have done that, I would be a lot better. See, Dion called them the Idas. And you know what Dion's philosophy is? The world has too many Idas. And that we don't need any more Idas. He, he said that every day at the end of school, uh, when many of his friends, who some of them were better than he as an athlete, when some of them would, would head to the streets to, to sell drugs or to get involved in other things, he always had practice. Because he realized that God had placed this potential in him and he wanted to achieve what God had kind of born him to be. And so he, he would go to practice every single day. And he, he, he attributes sports and athletics and pursuing this God-given potential, he attributes that into keeping him from turning out to be just like all of those other idas that he grew up with who had tremendous potential but never achieved it because of their choices in life. There's another little story 
There was a 16-year-old girl named Eliza, and she, she fell in love with and she married a 20-year-old tailor. Now, this 20-year-old tailor, he had never been to school before. He did not know how to read. He did not know how to write. He, he didn't even know his letters. And many people had considered him a lost cause. He was going to be a tailor, and that's all he was going to accomplish in life. But when Eliza fell in love with him, she knew that there was more to him. Even though that he couldn't read, he couldn't write, even though he didn't know his letters, she, she knew that there was something in him that was greater than what everyone saw. So she began to teach him to read and to write. And I ironically after getting over this this bit of a steep curve as soon as he kind of got over this this steep curve of learning he was a he was just an incredible learner he excelled at everything as soon as he got over this hump and he began to read and write those days were difficult but as he proved to be a fast learner all of a sudden realized the sky was the limit in fact, he learned so well that years later, he was elected president of the United States. Now, he only served one term as the president, but when, when his second term was finished, he knew that, that God still had a plan for him, that God still wanted to use him in public service, so he ran for the Senate, and he got elected to the U.S. Senate. Do you have any idea who Eliza's Taylor husband was? Anybody? Andrew Johnson our 17th president, began his life at 20, didn't even know how to read. Now these are stories of potential. These are stories of people understanding their potential. They're, 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 they're stories of people embracing their potential and realizing that God has something in store for them that if they could just tap into their God-given potential, they could achieve everything. They could achieve anything. And I, and I have to tell you, Kristen and I, we've, we've been here since July. We were installed in August, and we are finally moving in, moved into our house. And so this incredibly long move is nearing the end. In fact, this week in Amherst is our bulk garbage day. And if it isn't out of a box, it may be at the street. You might want to swing by my house on Tuesday evening. There might be some good stuff out there. Because if, if my garage is going to be empty on Tuesday night, when I go to bed, it's going to be empty. Amen. That's right. And this has a, been a long move, and it, and it seems like, I, 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 as your pastor, I haven't felt like I've gotten my feet really under me yet because we've been kind of in between. And I'm, I'm so excited for what God has in store for us and the potential that God has for our church. And now that we're like, finally getting settled i'm like okay now i feel like i can breathe i feel like you know and and like i said um there 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 are totes out in that shed in the garage that, right out there that if they don't i'm gonna go through them in a couple of days larry and if if that stuff that i took to south dakota and i took back to oregon and i brought here if if i ain't opened it by wednesday or thursday it's going in that dumpster too i don't know why i still have tucker's fourth grade but there's all kinds of potential and these stories I just shared with you are people who recognized that they had potential and they captured that. See, but what is potential really? When you, when you, when you define it, what is potential? See, potential, it refers to a currently or unrealized 
ability. And do you know that so many people live their entire lives with current and unrealized ability that they never, ever tap into? There are some people that find themselves in these places where they have tremendous potential, tremendous opportunity, but they never achieve it. They never pursue it. And sometimes it's because they've made bad choices or they've, they've not done anything. They haven't moved forward in life and they have a lot of people that tell them they'll never amount to anything. In fact, if you came to church today and you have people that are close to you who have told you, who have spoken that lie over you, that you will never amount to anything or that, that you're, you are stuck and you're not getting any better, you're not moving, any, you're not moving forward in life at all. If, if you have people that have spoken that over you, first of all, that is a lie. It is not true because God puts unbelievable potential and opportunity in every single one of our lives. So don't believe that lie. And this message is perfect for you today. Don't believe what people say about you. Don't believe what people speak over you. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you did last night. God has the ability to transform you in a way that this God potential that he puts in every single one of us can be achieved. And I believe that. I believe firmly that God gives us this unbelievable opportunity to discover what he designed us to be and to help us become that. In fact, I think of it this way. And maybe, maybe you've thought of this before. In fact, when I pastored in South Dakota, our community was kind of fractured churches were fractured we had a lot of really really good christians you know we had one church the baptist church they had to celebrate recovery for a little while but when they did that the church got a little bit sideways with the celebrate recovery because they weren't the when when the celebrate recovery happened on thursday night they they made kind of a negative impact on the building they had to go in and clean on fridays and sometimes it was messier than they thought it should be and so they decided that they didn't want to have celebrate recovery anymore so this really incredibly talented person that was leading celebrate recovery she had no home for celebrate recovery anymore then we had another church in town who's who had a couple of sets of parents in it whose kids whose teenage kids had gotten into drugs and so they had taken a bunch of these kids under their wing and a couple of these kids had played on the worship team before they uh they they got into drugs a little bit and so when they got their lives kind of clean when they started to clean their lives back up they were hoping to put them back on the platform but the church wouldn't let them back on the platform because the proximity of their sin was too close for them, so they wouldn't do that. And, and there was two or three other situations like that, and I just had this thought at one point in time that if God could ever get all of those people in one place at one time, what in the world could He do with that? But instead, we were fractured all over the place. And we seemed to be um, defeating ourselves. See, I think that, I think, what would happen if if God could grab a hold of a group of people and every single person could realize their God potential, their God-given potential, and achieve that, what would He do? What could God do in a group of people like that? I, mean, I just think it would be unbelievable to see. See, and, and, and what we have to discover is that God, his, his story of potential over each and every one of us begins with that reconciliation. It begins with salvation. It begins with us recognizing our need for God, surrendering, accepting His forgiveness and His grace, and then God places this ultimate potential in us 
because He saved us and He made us right and He sets us back on the right path. So what would happen if all of us were able to reach our God-given potential? Well, I can tell you a few things that I think would happen. I think everyone would have their needs met. I don't think anybody would have any needs. I, th- I think there would be no more wars. There'd be no more fights. I-, I think that there would be no more affairs. Husbands cheating on their wives and wives cheating on their husbands. I think there would be no more abuse. Because if everyone was living in right relationship with God, everything would be right. So, in a world dominated by failures, I think it's important for us to look at what it would look like if God could help us reach our potential. Reach our potential in ourselves, reach our potential as a church, reach our potential as a community, reach our potential as a nation. And in a culture that is so quick to to point out failure, I think it would be awesome if we could begin to point out people's potential rather than their failures. Amen? Wouldn't that be good? See, and and the thing is, we should be motivated. We should be motivated to tap into our God-given potential. Because in in, in this gift that God gives us, not only is is there salvation and healing and forgiveness of sins, but there's this, 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 this ability to share that hope that we have with others. Do you know that you have, I, I guarantee you there's not one person in this room who knows God and who God has made an impact on their lives. There's not one of you that doesn't have somebody in your life that needs to know exactly what God has done for you. There's somebody that you work with, somebody in your family, the neighbor across the street, the girl that checks out your groceries, the server that will serve you lunch today. There's somebody that God will put in your path that needs to know exactly what he's meant to you because they're desperately seeking for the hope that we have tucked away inside of us. We should be motivated to not only receive, not only understand the God-given potential that we have, but not only to achieve it, but to use it for his glory. Why should we believe that any of this is possible, though? Especially if you've been one of these people who the world or your family or your workplace or individuals have spoken failure over you. Why should we even believe that God has this potential? I mean, you may, came, you may have come in here with a, with a laundry list of difficulties in your life. You may have came, came to church this morning, maybe even at the end of yourself, thinking, you know, there's, there's no hope for me, but if I'm going to find any hope, it just might be in church. Why should we believe that God has potential over each and every one of us? Well, the reason why we should is because God's Word tells us that. God's Word speaks this over us. In fact, in Psalm 139, we read this. Now, I'm going to share this with you from the message. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the message, the message is a paraphrase. There, there are different kinds of Bibles, and so we have, we, have, we have translations and we have paraphrases. And so translation would be like your NIV, your New Living Translation, New King James, the King James Version. Um, a paraphrase is, is not a translation, but it is Eugene, in fact, the message is Eugene Peterson took uh, the different translations of the Bible and he paraphrased it. In fact, he just kind of expanded, he, he kind of wrote it as if, as if we were having a dialogue over God's Word. And I love the way that he describes 
what God says about each and every one of us in Psalm 139 in his paraphrase of God's word. And this is what he says. This is the paraphrase in the message, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, oh yes, you shaped me first inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. Do you know that God speaks over each and every one of us that we are marvelously made? So no matter what you looked at in the mirror today and thought, oh my goodness, I'm barely, I'm barely okay for public consumption. No, God says you are marvelously made. So don't ever look at yourself in the mirror and look down on yourself ever again because God made you exactly the way that he wanted to make you. He continues, he says, I worship you in adoration. What a creation. And, and he says that with praise, not a, oh my gosh, what a creation. He <laughs> says, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. God's Word says that every one of us has great potential, great God-given potential. He doesn't create things without potential. And when you think about it, the only way we can reach our potential is to reach it right now. And here's why I say that. Because how many of you, and I've been guilty of this, how many of you have said, you feel, you sense that God has something in store for you, but you're like, oh, I'll get to it later. You know, I'll get to it later. You know how many people, um, young people, when I was a youth pastor, I would encounter young people that would be like, yeah, I kind of believe there's a God, and I know I should probably listen to what my parents tell me about God, but I got too much living to do. I got too much stuff I'm doing. You know, when I get older, that's when I'll probably go to church. That's when I'll kind of think about God. Or all of a sudden, some life change will happen, and, and they'll, they'll kind of get to it when they get to it. Uh, we had a youth pastor one time who was playing basketball with a student of his, uh, and, and the student said, was telling him how he didn't need God. He didn't need God at all. He's like, I, I got good parents. I got a good house. I got a good job. I got a good girlfriend. Everything's good. I don't need God. Why would I want God? Well, everything was good until his mom and dad got divorced and his girlfriend broke up with him. And then he realized he needed God. See, I think it's a shame that sometimes we put off pursuing what God has put in us because we think we have other things that are more important. See, for God to do what God really wants to do in our world today, every single one of us need to realize God's potential in us and take advantage of it right now can't put it off I mean, we don't know what tomorrow holds god may have something for you today that he needs you to do and if you put it off till tomorrow you might miss something or the person that he calls you to interact with may miss an opportunity for eternity it's that important so if, if we're going to reach our potential we have to capitalize on the opportunities he gives us now. I mean, you could say that it's a shame, even a tragedy, for someone to either live below their potential 
or never achieve their potential because they're putting it off for one life circumstance or one consequence or something like that. And I think it would be the greatest strategy in life if when the greatest tragedy I think would be if we failed to embrace and live out our God potential. I mean, God has something big in store for every one of us. I think that would be the biggest tragedy is to never, ever achieve that. Now, the beauty of who Jesus was is when he shows up to do his earthly ministry, he sought out people just like you and I who were living their lives, but probably not quite tapping into their God-given potential. In fact, he chose no one, no one that was living in their perfect potential. He chose every single one, all 12 of his first disciples were people that were living below their potential. They were living not in, in, in exactly where God wanted to, them to be. In fact, in the first, in the, in the first four books of, of the New Testament, the Gospels, when we read the story of Jesus' ministry, we, we just meet all these guys that you're like, man, that guy's just, you know, he's not living up to his potential. And Jesus would interact with them and he would pull them out of what they were doing into their God-given potential and use them. See, see, here's the thing. Jesus had the ability to see things in people that they couldn't even see in themselves. And here's the thing I want you to know today. God sees things in you that you don't even see in yourself. God knows things about you that you don't even know yourself. See, Jesus could see their God potential their God-given potential. And when Jesus invited people to embrace and to live out their God-given potential, they were moved by that. Why, why do we struggle to be moved by God saying to us, hey, come, follow me, serve me? And almost every time he invited them, it was before they were there yet. It wasn't like he invited them and they were right on the cusp of their God-given potential. I mean, they, were, they had been working out and they were just about ready. I mean, he got them when they were still on the couch. I mean, he got them when they were still 20 pounds overweight. He got them when they were out of shape and undervalued. And I mean, he, he, he got these people at the bottom. He didn't wait till they were right at the edge. He always would invite people into his ministry who weren't there yet. And he did this by inviting them to trust him, to reconcile their relationship with God, and then he would begin to transform them and change them and reshape them and empower them to live out their God-given potential. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He, would, he said, listen, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all things would be given to you. And this is, this is a statement that says, come follow me, just seek after me, and everything you need to reach, out, reach into your God-given potential, I'm going to give it to you. You don't have to have it. You don't have to show up with your toolbox, all, everything all ready to go. You just, show back, you, you just show up empty-handed, seek me, and I'll give you everything you need. See, all we need to begin to reach our potential is to seek God and trust God that he'll take care of the rest. Now let's take a couple of looks at when Jesus would do this with individuals. Jesus would, would meet an individual, he'd come across a couple of people, and he would, he would invite them into a journey that would tap into their God-given potential. Let's take a look right from the very beginning of his ministry. 
the first things that we, some of the first things we see Jesus do is invite people to tap into their God-given potential. First one I want to share with you is in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And they didn't live very well because they were horrible fishermen. These guys stunk. They, I mean, they were not good fishermen. Okay? Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So Jesus shows up. These two horrible fishermen brothers are out on the family business, disappointing dad every day because they came in with much less than they should have. And Jesus says, Come follow me. Come allow me to help you to recognize what I really designed you to be. And when you do so, you're going to be so successful, you're going to change the world. Now, what's interesting about these first two guys, Simon, called Peter and Andrew, is that they were, they were, they were typical for who Jesus would call. Do you, know, do you know that Jesus called people who were overlooked by everyone else? Simon called Peter and Andrew. They were Jewish boys. They had been to synagogue. They had learned everything that they were supposed to learn up to a certain age. And then everyone started to overlook them because they just didn't seem to have what it took. So they ended up in the family business. The rabbis passed them over. Teachers passed them over. They couldn't go into the ministry. They couldn't do any. The family business was their lot in life. It wasn't a lot, but it was a life. But Jesus saw something else in them. Jesus saw things in them that other people couldn't see. In fact, Jesus sees things in all of us that others can't see. And just with that amount of trust, with that, just that, that invitation, they trusted Jesus. And they followed him. And he began to reshape them. He transformed them into, into, into great men for God that did amazing things. In fact, I love Peter's story because Peter's a mess. I mean, Peter is the guy, I mean, he was a horrible fisherman. You guys remember the story? He's out on the boat. He throws the nets. He can't catch anything. And then after that, he starts to follow Jesus, and he has a little bit of success in the ministry. But then we get, do you remember, do you remember Peter? He's the guy when Jesus is being arrested. Little middle school girls are confronting him like, hey, you were with that guy. You were with Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. There's one time when Jesus and Peter, they're having a conversation, and Jesus is like, this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be put to death for the sins of the world. And, and, and Peter's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Not on my watch. And, and Jesus rebukes him. He calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was a mess. But do you know what Jesus saw in him? Tremendous potential. Do you remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? The book of Acts? Who did Jesus give the preaching assignment to? Peter. The biggest failure in the group. And Peter preaches a message on the day of Pentecost. And God's word says that thousands of people put their faith in Christ because of the words that Peter spoke that day. All of these individuals that Jesus would call were, were ordinary people who the world had overlooked. There were others. There were James and John. Th these two guys, they, in the midst of following Jesus, 
uh, they start to kind of tap into their own God potential and get a bit full of themselves. And so they argue one day about who gets to sit at Jesus' right hand. I mean, when everything, come, when everything is settled and, and we're in your glory, who gets, can, can I sit right next to you? No, I'm going to sit right next to you. No, he's going to. I mean, they're fighting over who's going to sit next to Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys got it all wrong. It's not about who sits next to me. It's about who serves each other. And then there's this guy named Thomas. And Thomas is the, one of the disciples that got the worst rap because, oh my gosh, we are so behind schedule. It's 11.52. I better hurry. Is it okay? Uh, okay. Anyway, I'm only on page nine. We got, anyway. Then there's this Thomas guy, and he's the, I mean, he comes to this doubting. Jesus is resurrected. He's still doubting. But Jesus reveals himself to him, and all the doubt is gone. All of these men began their journey with Christ well below the curve. Yet, God did something amazing in them when they realized that God could transform them into the God-given potential that he gave them. Because Jesus has this innate ability to see what we can't see. We can't see of, about ourselves, and we can't even see in others. See, Jesus always sees our potential, even when there are obstacles in our way. Do you know there's another story? It, it, it simply is titled, Jesus and the Rich Young Man. Are you familiar with that story? This is one of those God-given potential stories that kind of hangs us up. See, because Jesus sees our potential, even when we have things that get in the way. See, this story of Jesus and the rich young man goes like this. It's found in Mark chapter 10. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, and he knelt down and he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? And Jesus, asked, Jesus asked, only God is truly good, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And the young man says, well, teacher, I've obeyed all of these things. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was very young. But looking at the man, Jesus, he knew that there was still something there. There was something, there, there was something that was that was causing this young man to be stuck in his, in his realizing and achieving his God-given potential. And so Jesus, he felt genuine love for him. And he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. He told him, he said, go sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, Jesus realizes that this man is earnestly seeking him. He really wants to tap into his own God-given potential, but there's something that's keeping him stuck. And when he asks him, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? Jesus has such love for him that he speaks the truth into his life. And what he says to him is he says, listen, I know you love me, and I know you want to, I know, I know you want to achieve all that I want to put into you, but there's something that's in your way. You have a divided loyalty. You like your stuff too much. And that doesn't mean that you can't have stuff. It just means that the stuff can't be above our relationship. See, he had an issue. He had an issue with divided loyalty. For him to reach his God-given potential, he had to get rid, he had to set aside, he had to, he had to, he had to get rid of the things that he cherished more than his relationship with God. 
See, and in this, in this story, the young man, his face falls and he goes away defeated. How many times in our own lives have we come to a place where God says, I got something really big in store for you, but yet we put an obstacle in his way. And we've placed this obstacle in his way and he says, just get rid of that. Just get, get rid of that obstacle and let me do in you what I want to do in you. Yet we can't. Our face falls because we want to hold on to that. What is it about us that wants to hold on to those things? And when we ask this question, rest assured that if there's something holding us back, Jesus always invites us to dump that thing, to get rid of that thing. Why? So that Jesus can do what he does best. Take those things from us and replace it with his blessing. Replace it with something better, something that's going to draw you closer, something that's going to use you, fulfill you in life by saying, listen, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to others. And when we do that, when we can finally dump those things, then we truly find ourselves in God's story. And we find ourselves living out our God potential. The young man, he just falls, his face falls and he walks away defeated. Hear me on this. This man, this man, he felt and he understood that there was something missing in his life. And so he asked Jesus what it was. And Jesus responds by telling him the truth, that he has some things that he's placing in higher value than his relationship with God. And Jesus invites the man to get rid of that stuff, to dump it. Simply, he says, seek God first and let me take care of the rest. Unfortunately, the man rejects Jesus' invitation and he walks away defeated. And this is what happens to us when we know in our gut, when we know in our heart that the role that Jesus is asking us to play, we, we know what he's asking us to do. We know that he wants us to tap into this God-given potential inside, but we reject it because we're afraid. We, we, we reject it because there's other things. We have other loyalties. We can't seem to see how this would play out or not. And we walk away defeated. And then we end up restless. And eventually we end up empty. Now I want to share with you another story of someone, someone else who responds to Jesus when called to live out their potential. This is the story of a man named Saul who became Paul. You guys know this story, right? So Saul is a Christian persecutor. He's been given permission to hunt down all the followers of the way. That's what they called Jesus' followers at the time. And so he was given papers to go from Jerusalem to Damascus to hunt down and arrest and bring to justice all Christians, all Christ followers. Now on the road to Damascus, Paul, Saul, is interrupted. The Lord Jesus stops him on the road to Damascus and Saul falls to his face and he says, falls to his knees and he says, he says, what do you want? What's, what's going on? And Jesus says to him, why do you, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he takes Saul's sight away from him in that moment. In fact, as God's word says, when, he, when Saul stands up and opens his eyes, he can't see. And so he has some friends with him and those friends lead him into Damascus. And they take him to a friend's house. Now here's where the story gets really crazy. So Saul is moping and groping. He's lost his sight. He's been confronted by the Lord Jesus on the way to Damascus, and he's stuck. Well, Jesus comes to a man named Ananias in a vision, and he says, there's a man I want you to go talk to. 
His name's Saul, and he's been persecuting me. But I want you to go tell him that salvation is found in Jesus and that, that, that I have a plan for him. I have purpose for him. And I, Ananias is like, wait a minute, I've heard about this guy. This guy's coming to arrest us. You want me to go talk to him? And Jesus says, yeah, I want you to go talk to him. Why? You know what God's word says? Because Jesus saw tremendous potential in him. That God saw something in Saul that Saul hadn't seen in himself, and no one else did either. So finally, Ananias, he's obedient, and he goes and he confronts Saul, and he says, you need to follow Jesus. And immediately, Saul follows Jesus. He repents, he restores himself, and immediately, Saul goes out and starts preaching the gospel. He becomes Paul. And Paul literally plants almost every church in the New Testament. This guy is one of the greatest men of God we've ever known. And he started out killing us, killing Christians. That's where he started. But that isn't where he ended up. After his interaction, Saul, now Paul, embraced his God potential. He began to play his role in God's story. And God used Paul to spread his message of love and grace and restoration all through the Middle East and Eurasia. And God used Paul to write almost all of the New Testament. See, Paul finally gave up so he could eventually rise up and live his God potential. Now, it wasn't always easy for Paul. There were all kinds of difficulties along the way for Paul. I mean, the guy was thrown in jail more than anybody. He got bit by a snake. I mean, he was shipwrecked. I mean, he was, the, the boat that he was on before he got shipwrecked, they were so scared of the storm, they, they figured it was Paul's fault, so they were going to throw him overboard. You know, they, let's just get rid of him, and maybe everything will get better. I mean, Paul didn't have it good. He didn't have it easy. There were bumps, there were difficulties along the road of living out his God-given potential. I wonder if, if at any time Paul had doubts. He was like, really? I mean, come on, God. I mean, I was just stoking the fire, and I get bit by a snake. Really? I mean, come on now. I mean, could... Could he have ever had doubts? Well, here's the thing. If he did, we don't read about it in God's Word. We don't read that Paul had any doubts. Instead, he, he would say things like this. In Philippians 3, verses 7 and 9, this is what Paul would say. He says, I once thought that these things were valuable, talking about the things of life, the things that got in the way of the rich young man. He says, I, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage that I could gain Christ and become one with him. And then he said in, in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, he says, and I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, he knew where his potential came from. See, because God, because Paul was playing his part in God's story, because he was living out his God potential, because he was living up to his God potential, Paul expresses a deep sense of contentment. I would say to you today that if you lack contentment in life, it's because you aren't living in your God potential. 
you're living in some other potential or some other aspiration or some other desire that you have that doesn't come from God the Father. And this is what happens when we live out our God potential. We find contentment. We find peace. Do you know how many times as a pastor I hear somebody say, I just want peace. I just want peace. If you want peace, live in your God potential. And that's why this is so important. And this is why it's so important for us to keep growing in our faith. See, that's my deepest prayer for us, for each and every one of you individually, for me personally, for our church, that we would would begin to live in our God-given potential. I can't imagine what God would do. You know, I told you this before. God gave me this vision in the shower in Roseburg, Oregon, before I had even, listen, before I had even interviewed. God gave me this vision of this church being a beacon of light for Lorraine County. I mean, I I got it written down. I was wet when I wrote it down. (laughs) Not to draw too weird a picture for y'all. But what would happen if we could could live in this God-given potential that he gives every one of us and, and he gives the church The impact that Blessing Wagon makes, I believe, is just the tip of the iceberg. It's a starting point. It's a starting point. My hope and prayer is that we will take seriously the mission of helping people discover what it really is like to have an intimate and deep and real relationship with the Lord Jesus. My hope and my prayer is that is that we will, that we will, each and every one of us will, will, will be so in love with God and so in love with what God wants to do in each one and every one of our lives that we don't keep it for ourselves. That we give it away. That we can't help but give it away. So let me ask you a question today. Are you on a life path that is allowing you to, get, to live out your God-given potential? And you're like, well, I don't know, Pastor. I, I mean, a few weeks ago, we talked about examining ourselves. And that's a good place to start. But how do you know? How do you know? How could you just, how could I get a quick, easy bead on whether or not I'm living out my God-given potential? Well, let me ask you this. If you were to make no changes in the present course of your life, would you, would you be content with who you are and where you are a year from now. I mean, if you just kept doing exactly what you're doing right now, in 12 months, would you be gone? Would you be like, I'm good. It's all good. Or would you still have some discontentment? Would you still be like, ah, it's not where I'm supposed to be yet. What about five years from now? 10 years from now? 20 years from now? Pastor, I don't got 20 years left. You do if the Lord wants you to. See, see, Jesus, he gave this, this rich young man an opportunity to change course, to choose a different life path. He gave him, a, through a word of correction, 
a bit of discipline. He said, you know what? You can live a life that's different than what you're living now. He was like, you know, I can sense in your heart that what we're talking about right now is going to leave you defeated. And what I'm offering will not leave you defeated. It will send you out victorious. Why would we choose the defeated path? Why would we ever want to choose the defeated path? The path that we're, we were never designed to be on to begin with. Instead, why is it so hard for us to choose the path that will allow us to achieve our God-given potential? Now, if you're not, and you know you're not, and you don't need to tell me to tell you that you're not, you know, I mean, you know where you're at. Today, God is inviting you to change course. I mean, maybe in this story, you're the rich young man, and you're like, I know you got something in store for me, God. But I just, I got things. The things I want to do. And when I get done with those things, then I'll give you the time that you want. I mean, maybe you're like that rich young man. And he's offering you a change of course today. God is inviting you to discover that he has a different plan for you. That he has a a level of potential in you that you don't even know is there yet. And probably people have told you time and time again doesn't exist. But I'm here to tell you today that God sees more in you than you or anyone else will ever see. And he wants you to realize it. God's inviting you to discover that today. Embrace it and achieve your God-given potential. When I became a Christian, it was so funny because I had, I had like every person in my family told me I was going to fail on this whole journey. I didn't have one person that thought I was going to be a Christian two weeks after I told them I was a Christian. Well, joke's on them. I mean, I think my in-laws still think I'm crazy. They're like, well, I can't believe you stuck this one out that long. So maybe that's you today, and you just need to say, you know what, God, I, I want to I tap into that potential. So, so I must ask, is there anybody here today, anybody here today that wants to embrace and to live out their God potential? I mean, right now, not next week, not when you get around to it, not when the bills are paid, not when this, not when that. I mean, right now. Anybody? Raise your hand if there is. Oh, man, look at this. That's good news. That's good news. Oh, my gosh. So here's the thing. Now the pressure's on because God's going to do something with us. You ready for that? Well, I'm going to wrap up right now because it's 12-11. I could preach for another 30 minutes, but I'm not going to. Hey, here's the thing, guys. Um, I love stories of potential, and I love examples of people achieving more than God ever, than they ever thought they could. And especially in the way that God works in, in people's lives. And there are testimonies in this room of people achieving and recognizing God's blessings in their life and just tapping into it and doing unbelievable things for God. And I believe firmly that God has something really cool in store for us, especially with as many of you raise your hand. And God is going to do something really cool in our church. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you see more in us 
than we see in ourselves. Thank you, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us, and you have a plan and a purpose for our church, and it is beyond what we have right here today that we can measure right here today. That You have something so big for us that it is literally going to, it's going to blow us away. It's going to stun us. We're going to, I think a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, we're going to look back on these, this, this season, this COVID season, this pastoral transition, this, all these different things that we've experienced as a church, both locally and, and just the world, Lord. And we're going to look back on this season and we're going we're gonna to be amazed at what you've done. And so let us give you praise in advance for how you're going to use each and every one of us as we allow you to tap into the God-given potential that you placed in us. Help us, Lord, to be all you called us to be. And in that, Lord, you're going to change. You're going to change the fabric and the framework of each and every family in this church. You're going to break free. From, you're going to help families break free from generational sin. You're going to change the lives of our teens and our children. And then, Lord, you're going to change this community and this, this county and this state in this nation, in this world, ultimately, for your glory, if each and every church, little local church, local body of believers would recognize that, God, you have so much potential in us if we would just surrender to it, embrace it, and allow you to transform and shape us into who you designed us to be. May God, you have the glory, and may we be obedient at every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.